My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Dissent. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode six of Informed Dissent, a podcast where we push back against the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. So a couple episodes ago, I told you that we would start having guests on the show. And today we have a special guest who we're going to continue the episode Policing America. So this is part two of that discussion. And our guest today, I've been following on Twitter for a little while now, and I've been enjoying his takes on law enforcement and just politics in general. And he's a police officer. He's a sergeant. And I can't tell you where he works, but he has 14 years of law enforcement experience. He's done undercover details, plain clothes, anti-crime details, uh, detailed crime investigations. So I, I think he knows a little bit about what he's talking about when it comes to policing. So I'm excited to have him on the show as the first guest of Informed Dissent. His name is Sergeant Zeke Arkham. Sergeant Arkham, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to have you on. So uh, things are a little crazy right now with the with the spotlight on policing. So I, I really appreciate you coming on to share your expertise. So let's just start at the beginning, man. What what made you want to get into law enforcement? What drew you into police work? You know, we were always told don't go to the police. Don't don't talk to the police. Don't bother them unless you absolutely have to. So it actually had the opposite effect on me. You know, like, who are these people? You know, why are they here? What do they do? So I actually made a point of, to start talking to police. You know, every cop I saw, like I would talk to him and just start asking him questions. Some of them were cool about it. You know, a lot of them sat and talked to me and explained experiences. Some of them kind of brushed me off. But um, I, I came to have a respect for them. So when I finally decided to do something with myself, you know, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I said, you know, let's, let's, let's try the academy. Let's go into the academy and see how it works. Uh, my first day there, I was yelled at by a sergeant who I'm actually really good friends with now. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it turned out to be probably the best decision of my life up yeah. until that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to be honest. I, I thought about police work for a little while and I actually went through the process for Ohio State Patrol and I, I did the polygraph and all that. And I ended up dropping out because I didn't want to, I decided I didn't want to do academy because it was a six months residency and I didn't want to be away from my family for that long. But yeah, lots of respect for that, man. I noticed it's a grueling process, but you know, looking around to how things are right now, you know, I, a lot of people are wondering why anyone would ever want to be a police officer, you know, because the way things are going right now uh, is it's just so volatile and is you know, it's such a tough job and there's no respect. So and then you've been a police officer for a pretty decent amount of time. It's been 14 years. Right. So that goes back to what, 2006 ish. That's pre Obama years. So uh, given how things have changed in the last 14 years, do you, do you feel any differently about it? Like, would you, would you change your mind and do something different? Um, I still think law enforcement and being a police officer uh, is still a very noble profession. It's, it's a brotherhood. It's, it's a family. You know, that's why we say blue lives matter because mm. to us being a, you know, you can meet a cop from Hawaii. You know, I'm just, you know, that's, to me, that's the furthest place out there, Hawaii. And you'll talk to him as if you've known him all your life, you know, just because you had that one thing in common. It's still a very noble profession. It's very, still a very honorable profession. 
Um, I, if I could do anything differently, the only thing I would probably do differently, it, I mean, I would have probably joined earlier. I'd be retired mm. by now. <laughs> uh, I, I can't say I'd do too much differently. No, I would still join this job. Yeah. Yeah. Mad respect for that because, you know, there's a, like I said, it's volatile and I know, I know cops that they, they go out and they don't know, they talk about, you know, they don't know if they're going to come home. And, you know, to be able to do that, there's a lot of respect there. So we just had the 9-11 anniversary and it brings back the memories of all the horrors that happen. And, you know, the first thing that I think about is the first responders and the people that run toward the danger. You know, everybody's running away and you have all these people that are running toward it. And that takes a particular type of person to be able to do that. So, um, and, and that's one of the reasons I support police because I understand the job well enough to understand the sacrifice. So I do appreciate you for that, my friend. Thank you so much. Just have to appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. But, you know, not everyone sees it that way, obviously. And, you know, I look around right now and I see the absurdities of what's happening in our society between Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And it's all being encouraged by these Democrat politicians and the mainstream media. And it's extremely frustrating to me that the truth of what is actually going on is just continually elusive, right? And the facts don't matter to them at all. And it's having real world effects. So if it's that frustrating for me as a normal citizen, I can't imagine how frustrating it is and dangerous for law enforcement. And we had those two deputies shot in the ambush in LA. So, you know, all this stuff going on. So what has it been like for you? Like, how has all this foolishness affected you as a police officer and how you do your work? Honestly, morale in my department right now is down. Like, the, probably the furthest down I've ever seen it in my 14 years. And mm -hmm. I work with a lot of guys I have over 20 years on and they're saying the exact same thing. Morale is down. Uh, when the riots and the protests, you know, the quote unquote peaceful protests were going on, um, you know, uh, we were, you know, except for a few cases here and there, which were very much the minority, um, we were, you know, we were being as professional as we could be. You know, we, were, we, we weren't grabbing people and trying to hurt them. We were grabbing people more to try to control them. Mm -hmm. And then the next day to hear our governor and our mayor and our council speaker condemn us because they thought right. that we were too rough over a few isolated. I mean, I'm not going to say that every cop out there was, was, you know, doing a great job. You know, there were two or three out there that, that, you know, like, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Right. But, yeah. um, the overwhelming majority of us, over 99% of us were out there doing the best we could, you know, when they tried to take over one of our precincts and we were able to take the precinct back with no injuries to either side, um, mm -hmm. you know, no shots fired, uh, weapons weren't drawn, anything else like that. You know, I'm looking around. And I was actually proud of my fellow officers. And like I said, you know, and then, you know, you go on TV, you're watching the news and you hear the, the governor go, you know, oh, I, I condemned, you know, what they, what I saw last night on TV, you know, and then the mayor's echoing right. the same thing. Oh, I stand with Black Lives Matter. That's <laughs> like, it's, it's like, well, what are we doing out there? You know, why, why are we killing ourselves for this? Right. Yeah. It's, it's madness. Right. Yeah. It seems like, um, and I can definitely understand the morale it, when you have no support coming from the top, like, it, and you're just out there putting your life on the line and then 
there's no appreciation and then throwing you under the bus for it it's crazy so i see that um but you know the way the media manipulates things and the way the the politicians manipulate things it makes it crazy so i i definitely get that and i think it was uh heather mcdonald had the theory have you ever heard of the ferguson effect i'm sure you have but the the whole idea if you haven't heard of it uh if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't heard of it basically what it is I was coined after the Ferguson riots in 2014. I'm not sure if Heather McDonald coined it or not, but basically what it is is police officers did less proactive policing in order to avoid being targeted and accused of harassment or racial profiling or whatever it may be um, because there was little support for officers from the top um, and they were basically being thrown under the bus. And when proactive policing went down, violent crime rates went up and that was called the Ferguson effect. So and Zeke was talking about the morale and I mean, are you seeing that? Like, is the proactive policing going down and the crime rates are going up? Are you seeing that on the ground? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's also, uh, it's also called the Baltimore effect as well after the Freddie Gray. Uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean, the, the thing with proactive policing, you know, I, I worked in anti-crime where our job was to actually go out there and engage the worst of the worst bad guys out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I knew all of them and they knew me and, um, you know, we sort of formed a relationship, you know, they, they understood, okay, you know, when, when Arkham's out there, we're going to behave this way, you know, just out of respect for him. And, you know, if, if we have any information that we can give up without hurting ourselves, we'll give it to him, you know? So, you know, we kind of worked the streets that way. And if we had to take someone down, we weren't afraid to do it because we understood that's our job. Um, but when you pass laws like, you know, what happened here in New York, when you pass laws that criminalize, you know, basic functions of police work, uh, you get people scared to do their jobs. Or when you take away qualified immunity, like they, uh, like they did, and I think in Colorado, I'm not sure exactly where, um, mm-hmm. or when you just, you make it easier for these, these social justice district attorneys to prosecute cops. Yeah. Proactive policing is going to go down and crime is going to go up because now the criminals are emboldened. Now they feel like, you know, we can do whatever we want and there are going to be no consequences for it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you get these a lot of arguments that say, well, you know, there's no link between proactive policing and crime. But the research doesn't show the research definitely supports proactive policing, particularly in in high crime areas. And I think mostly what people are thinking of when they say that is like stop and frisk in New York, um, which had positive effects. But you know, the whole ethics of it when targeting a certain demographic or people that look suspicious when they're not technically committing a crime, um, people had issues with. So what do you think about that? I'll give you an inside secret on the stop question frisk. Um, it was actually a really good crime fighting tool. It was just misused. Yep. Um, you know, and what what was 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 funny about that whole situation is that after it was, I'm not gonna say outlawed because it's actually still in effect, but after it, they they made it harder for us to do it. Uh, I had residents coming up to me, you know, people in neighborhoods coming, y'all need to bring that back because <laughs> 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 the crime is going up. You know, there were there were two yeah. shootings. Like, y'all need to bring that back. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it, it's it's. I make a point usually in my posts on Twitter that the people who make these laws and make these rules, they're not the ones affected by it. Right. You know, if you want to make crime, if you want to make laws, excuse me, 
to embolden criminals, you're not going to be affected by it because you live in a gay community or you can afford security or you live so far away from everything that it just, it, the crime really just doesn't reach you. Um, right. But the people that are actually in the neighborhoods, they, they understand police work. You know, Al Sharpton of all people, Al Sharpton said, bring back anti-crime because it's needed to make the neighborhood safe. You know, <laughs> when, yeah. when, you, when someone like myself is agreeing with Al Sharpton, <laughs> we have some issues. Yeah. Either, either the end times are coming <laughs> or, or things are just so twisted and screwed up that this is what we've come to. Yeah. That's wild. I had, I actually hadn't heard that, that he had come out and said that, that he wanted anti-crime units to come back. But, you know, just logically speaking, it makes sense when you when you look at policing and you allow cops to do their jobs as a, proactively. But as you said, it, the potential for abuse is there as well. Now, I'm I'm more libertarian in my beliefs. And one of the things I always say is that, you know, when you give power to the government, and then that power can be abused, most likely will be abused. So you have to be really careful about how much power you give to the government. And I think it's that kind of thing, because if, if there's not mechanisms in place to prevent the abuse, then the abuse is definitely, you know, it's going to happen. As far as uh, stop and frisk goes, I think that, you know, it should have been, like you said, you know, amended so that it wasn't abused, but to try to get rid of it entirely as if it was, you know, this thing that directly targeted Black people specifically, I think, is wrong. Um, you know, everybody talks about crime stat statistics and, and how crime is is you know, uh, uh, spread out. You know, um, stop and frisk was used for high crime neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, like here in New York, Bayside Queens has almost no crime. Nothing really happens in Bayside Queens. Um, so to use stop and frisk heavily there is pointless it'd be goofy right and yeah brooklyn why where i've worked before where crime happens all the time so to use it there makes more sense mm -hmm. you know it's not like we were directly targeting black or you know hispanic people that's just where the crime was right yeah i've explained that to people as well that you know it's not so much that it's targeting a particular race it's just they they're going where the crime is and it happens to be you know, more minorities in those high crime neighborhoods. And it's unfortunate that that's what it is, but I mean, you have to, you have to look at the details and think critically about it. You can't be emotional. So, but yeah, I mean, so if, if we look at just the, just the big picture of things of everything that's going on, uh, you know, with black lives matter. And I mentioned that the officers in LA who were ambushed was horrible. I'm glad that they, they survived, but man, just horrible. But I mean, this sort of thing has happened before, right? I mean, the officers who were shot in their cars in New York, uh, and that happened in, to a couple of NYPD officers, uh, the officers who were killed in Dallas, Dallas PD, um, and all of it was done in out, out of revenge. Uh, like in, the NYPD officers were killed because of Eric Garner and Michael Brown. The Dallas officers were killed because of um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. And now these officers in L.A., who, uh, they were attacked presumably because of, you know, Jacob Blake and George Floyd, those cases. So, you know, we talk about the rhetoric and the damage you can do when you paint an entire group of people as evil, racist murderers. So what are your thoughts on this? Because it, it seems to me that Black Lives Matter is making things exponentially worse for 
everybody. Yeah, no, they are. Um, you know, my, my, my problem with that organization is that they've done absolutely nothing to, to better situations for black people if they feel, you know, black lives matter. You know, one of my beefs is that, hey, listen, I'm black. I'm, I'm a police officer. If I get killed tomorrow by a white person, let's just say like that, you know, by a white person, mm -hmm. they were committing a crime, I get killed tomorrow. Are they going to march for me? Are they going to have outrage for me? Right. No. Yeah. Um, you've highlighted how black children are being gunned down in, in almost record numbers in black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Where's the outrage for them? You know, so, you know, do all black lives matter to them or just some, the ones that further their cause? Um, you know, what have they done? They've gotten almost a billion dollars in donations. They haven't built a school. They haven't renovated a neighborhood. They haven't started a business. They haven't done a thing, you know? Um, and then I remember working the details, uh, you know, after the whole Eric Garner uh, decision came out, mm -hmm. you know, we had to go work the details because they were protesting literally every week. So every week I was dealing with them and they were coming after the black officers worse than they were coming after anybody else. Cause we were supposed to be on their side. Right. Right. Exactly. So you're race traders, coons and uncle Tom's. Yep. And you, we talked about the morale and you know, with these, with these latest shootings, these ambushes, I mean, are you guys, are you guys more on edge? Like, are you kind of clocking everybody? I mean, you're already already kind of doing that anyways, but is is there a general sense like, oh man, like like this could happen to me? Well, I mean, absolutely. You know, um, I, I felt it after uh, Detectives Lou and Ramos got shot. You know, how many times have I been sitting in my car trying to finish a report or updating my memo book or, you know, trying to send a text to a loved one just because your family does worry about you while you're out there. So you put your head down for a second, you know, and, and it could happen. You know, you're, you're sitting in a marked police car. Everybody knows you're there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to have to explain to people that I don't let people get too close to me when I'm in uniform um, because just because I don't know what's going to happen. It, it sort of puts you on edge. And people mm -hmm. have gotten upset over that. You know, oh, you know, why are you treating me like a criminal? Do I look like a criminal? And my answer to them is, okay, well, explain to me what a criminal looks like and I'll let you know. <laughs> Um, right. It definitely puts us on edge. And now this is another ambush. You know, Detective uh, Mia Sotis Familia, yeah. she got ambushed while she was in a, in a uh, what we call a, a THV, which is sort of like a mobile headquarters here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it definitely sits in the back of our minds all the time. Right. Yeah. And I try to explain to people that, you know, the police officers, they don't know. They don't know who is a criminal. They don't know, you know, if you have a weapon, they don't know. So the best thing we can do as citizens is to make it the easiest as possible that for them to know that we're not a threat because I mean, it could be anything you never know. I, I had some cop friends who they would talk about, they would sit in a restaurant to make sure that their back was against the wall and that they could see everything. And I think that's common among police officers. Right. And it, it's always like that. So like constantly, assessing the environment in in looking for those threats right and i don't think people think about that they kind of see you guys as robots and like yeah we're we have this sort of uh we have our training and we're roboting our way through life <laughs> and that's just not the case it's funny because uh, i was sitting with a friend for, for breakfast 
and uh, you you can't turn it off. So you yeah. know everyone that we we were sitting in a deli, and everyone that came in, like you know, I was you know my eyes all over the place. You know, I I, I take note of everybody that came in. So after about a half hour of us talking, he goes, "Yeah, you're definitely a cop because <laughs> you haven't looked at me for more than two <laughs> seconds." You know. Oh, so it's, it's, you can't turn it off. It just, it stays with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I've heard that many times. Good stuff. So an interesting thing, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I have a lot of issues with the mainstream media and if you've been following, you follow me on Twitter. So you're aware of that. Just the way that they report things or they don't report things. And if they're not being accurate here, then they're fueling the unrest with false information, making them complicit in what's happening. So Gallup put out a poll recently showing that 80% of black people want the same or more amount of police in their neighborhoods and only 20% want less. 20%. That runs completely counter to the narrative that we've been told in the media. Now, so do you get that sense on the ground that people are generally supportive of police like this poll shows or or is it just an anomaly and, and is the media completely distorting the picture here? Like what's happening? Well, they're, they're absolutely distorting the picture. Um, you know, I, I worked in, like I said, when I worked in Brownsville. Um, you know, we had housing projects there. And. There, I, I would say, out of the housing, you know, there were, you know, housing projects are, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, are a group of buildings, all city owned, and uh, there's, there's maybe, you know, in, in where I worked in Brooklyn, there were maybe 500 families or so living in these apartments. Out of those 500 families, we knew about 20 or 30 were just bad apples, you know. Mm-hmm. So that leaves you with 470 apartments there that are good people, genuinely good people that just want to live. You know, they, they just want to go to work, come home and live. You know, they don't want to bother anybody. They're not out there to do anything. And there were people there that when they saw me, they would give me like, you know, a slight nod or a smile or I, I got to thank you, you know, every now and again when they could. You know, you don't want to seem too friendly with the police, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I, I guess, you know, get like a nod or whatever. You know, most people, they want us out there. Like I said, defunding the police and taking resources away from these people affects them. They're afraid. They don't. They they want cops on the corner. They want to feel protected. Um, you know, you've got these politicians. I think that that think they're doing the right thing by defunding the police and and you know saying okay, we're going to pull money away from the police and we're going to get rid of this unit and we're going to you know, uh, we're going to cut the size of, of the police force down. And meanwhile, these people are afraid, like, okay, well, then what's going to happen to me? That means one less cop that's going to be there to make sure I'm safe in between my walk from the train home. Or, you know, that's, that's going to be in the parking lot when I get out of my car and I go to my building. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it seems to me that the only people who would actually want less police are the criminals. <laughs> you know, I, that that's the only thing that makes sense. Um but I, I get that sense as well, but I was just curious about, about what your experience was on the ground because most people I know support police and these community, these high crime communities, I've heard these stories as well that, you know, the people there are generally support. They want the police there because, you know, they're victims too. And, you know, so that makes sense. But, you know, this whole claim that that just law enforcement itself is just a systemically racist institution. 
even though 20% want less police, this claim is sticking and it's because the media is perpetuating, perpetuating this myth. But I mean, how much do you see racism in your day-to-day life? Because for me, I, I don't see racism hardly at all. And the racism I do experience comes from, you know, either, either white liberals well, white leftists, I should say, uh, who think I'm not behaving like a like a black person should, or it comes from black people. Like that's the racism I experience. But like the I, what when when we think about racism, what we think of racism, I don't I don't experience that hardly at all. But but what about you? What do you what do you experience in your day to day life? I was like, yeah, I guess I mean I've been in police locker rooms for 14 years. Um, I haven't experienced any racism from any of them. When people usually say, you know, oh, policing is systemically racist, I usually ask them, okay, well, where? And then they have, they have to go back. Oh, well, they were originally slave catchers. Okay, I understand that. That was back in 18, what, 65? <laughs> you know, <laughs> say this is 2020. Okay? Right. Explain to me the systemic racism in, in modern policing today. You know, if you have to go back to slavery to find <laughs> the racism <laughs> policing, you know, you're not doing very good work right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to go all the way back there, man, need to reevaluate. So, yeah, well, um, even beyond the racism argument, I mean, a, a big piece of it, too, is police training. Uh, so, you know, people say we need we need more training. Police need more training, whatever. And you know, I, there's probably merit to that argument. Right. I mean, more training is always a good thing. But. I, I honestly, the hang up for me is the word need, which implies, you know, that had this particular offer officer had more training, whatever that may be, the outcome would have been different, uh, which maybe, but my sense is probably not. So what do you think? Is there, is there a gap in policing that needs to be filled with more training? And if so, what would that training even entail? Well, I, I think I, one of my Twitter posts, I said, you know, I usually ask people, what training, what, what further training do police need? Tell me what, what, because I get training at, at least once a month about, you know, gender pronouns. That was like the last one I took. Um, or, or, you know, gender pronouns. <laughs> or, or oh you know, how, to, how to address people or how to deal with mental health. Mm. I get constant training, constant, constant training. So what more training do I need? You know, I think people have this idea of what taking down a suspect who's fighting should be like, because they've watched movies where, you know, you do a backflip behind the guy and you pinch him in the neck and he, you know, you know, falls asleep and you put the cuffs on him or you just put your hand on his shoulder and he gives up, you know? Right. Yeah. If you're fighting someone, they're combative and they're like, I'm not going to jail. You know, I'm not coming with you. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's no way to look, make that look pretty. So when people say, oh, they need more training, what training? Because we're doing everything we can to, to get compliance out of people, to arrest them without incident, because we don't want to go to the hospital with these, with these uh, perpetrators. Um, you know, we're doing everything we can, but the person's fighting back. So how do you make that look pretty? I usually right. say, well, when do the criminals get their training? Yeah. Because if anybody needs training, they need training. <laughs> right, right. I, you, tell me if I'm off base here, but the, the way I've normally described it is that, you know, there are thousands of variables, you know, for each situation and no situation is ever going to be exactly the same. You can't train for a very specific situation. 
because of all the variables and you can't account for everything. And so when you factor, when you put in the human factor, you're going to have multiple different officers that respond to the exact same situation, you know, multiple different ways, even if they've had the exact same training to that, to whatever that situation is, you know, say that, say it's a dog running at you. You may have one officer tase the dog. You may have one reach down to pet it. You may have one shoot it. And you, maybe you train for that specific way, specific situation, but you know, they're all going to see different things. Is that, is that about right? That, that, that's right. I mean, it's, it's your comfort level. You know, it, it's your background. It's how you were raised, you know. Um, you know, I, I have a pit bull. Um, so pit bulls really don't scare me. I know people that are definitely afraid of pit bulls, you know. So, so, so yeah. our reactions aren't going to be the same. Um, you know, just how I grew up, where I grew up, as mm-hmm. opposed to where other people grew up, you know, their family situation. So it's like you said, you know, you're dealing with human beings here. Right. We're not robots. We're not all going to have the exact same reaction. Um, you know, I, I think that's what's missing here, that people forget that there's a human element that you have to account for in policing. Yeah, you, can't, you can't just do a training ro- regimen and just be robots? Come on, man. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they would love it. <laughs> We're responding exactly the same way every time. I'm sure yeah. my mayor could just program us to, to do what he wants. He would love it. <laughs> he would love it. I'm higher, but he'd love it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I mentioned this in part one, but I, I, I think that citizens need to go on ride alongs and, and do, you know, the shoot, don't shoot simulations because that would give a little more perspective uh, so they could understand what they're criticizing when, you know, when they criticize it. Because I think people just have no clue what they're talking about when they say things like you're talking about doing the backflip and, you know, chopping the guy in the throat, whatever. Why couldn't you just shoot him in the leg or, you know, he had a knife. Why'd you have to shoot him? He shoot the gun out of his hand. I've heard people say that before. It, it, they just don't know. And, and sometimes I think that it would just, it just takes experience because people just don't get it until they experience it for themselves. You can't really put them in a real life or death situation, but I, th- I think those simulations, I, I think those are a good idea. Yeah. Do you get that, get that feeling as well? The, the thing about the simulations is there's a reason why literally every news reporter, activist, anyone that's ever gone through the situations, those simulations, excuse me, um, they have a different sort of outlook on policing. Yeah, they change every time. Every time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why people like Al Sharpton, that's why, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter supporters will not do it because they understand, they know, you know, I'm going to have a different outlook. <laughs> right. I, I won't be able to, to, intelligently say the same thing I've been saying, um, you know, it, it, it gets them coming to do it and it's going to destroy their narrative. Like I said, Black Lives Matter, uh, these other, you know, Sean King, my good buddy, Talcum X. <laughs> Talcum X, <laughs> right. They're not, going, they're not going to do it, you know, so it, it takes them coming in and doing it and having, having that open mind, that learning mind to come and do it. Right. And I'm not sure they actually, I'm not sure they want to understand. I don't think that's, yeah, I don't think they want the truth of it. And they, they have their narrative and it's getting them what they want. So why would they, why would they want to change that? So I think you're spot on there. Well, it's like, it's like what Booker T. Washington said, you know, there's that class of Negro who profits off of mm-hmm. hate and racism. You know, if hate and racism were to go away tomorrow, Al Sharpton, Sean King, they'd be out of a job. Right. So they need racism and hatred to continue. Right. Yep. Well said, man. 
Okay, so one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about has to do with what's been going on in these inner city neighborhoods. And we talked you talked about it a little bit earlier, but I've discussed how Black Lives Matter ignores the actual issues that are going on and that are primarily responsible for destroying black lives, particularly children. And I blame it on hood culture and obviously the inner city violence. So I've been tracking this and, you know, man, it's heartbreaking going through these stories. And like we said, we're up to 55 children aged 12 and under uh, that have been killed in street violence this year. And if you expand that to under 18, it's it's hundreds, at least 150 since the beginning of June. So this is a much bigger problem than unarmed people being killed by police, which was 55, by the way, in 2019, 55 total of all races. And only 14 of them were black. And even then, most of those were justified. But, but still, 55 total for the year, 14 of whom were black. And we've had 15, or 55 children, 12 and under, killed this year already in street violence. And hundreds under 18. And we still have a few months to go. So I, I so wish that BLM would divert their attention and resources to this problem. Because I think most of the country would get behind them as a movement if they focused on these children instead of criminals. So what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Because what do we have to do to stop this? Like what needs to be done to address the violence in these, in these communities and protect these innocent children? Well, I mean, I've always said, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, uh, LeBron James, you know, what he does, uh, Black Lives Matter in general. It's, it's almost like lazy activism, you know, going after cops is a ground ball. It's, it's a layup. You know, yeah. you, you, you don't have to work that hard because, you know, everybody has their, you know, I was screwed over by a cop story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easier for them to, to do that kind of thing. If you go after the actual criminals, that involves work because now you have to work with the police. You have to get into those neighborhoods. You have to talk to people, you know, identify these criminals, tell us who they are, take pictures of them instead of taking pictures of the police. Right. That's harder work. And you're, you're, you're chipping away at your base, you know, the people that buy your records, that buy your tickets, buy Jordans, uh, buy your jerseys. That's your base, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so they're not going to go after them. They're just not. Um, but if they did, think about how much better life would be in these neighborhoods. You know, like I said, BLM has gotten a billion dollars or, or at least close to it in donations Think about it, they took that billion dollars and put it into neighborhoods like Brownsville, Brooklyn, where I think the average income is something like $30,000 in New York City, you know? Uh, Think about if they went to Baltimore, that's got the highest per capita murders in the country. Uh, You know, if they went to Chicago, you know, they could do some actual good work and and cops would be behind it. No, the whole country would be behind it, yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's lazy activism. They're not, they're not really looking to do much besides, uh, you know, have their fake drama and their fake uh, outrage and then go back to their million dollar mansions and talk about how oppressed they are. Right. I get. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's a type of social credit at this point where you you put out this this signal of virtue, you know, and you get the you get the social credit you everybody boosts you up and says oh yeah yeah lebron's speaking out on these issues he and then like his credit his credit goes up so and he doesn't have to do anything so it's amazing so like you said it's easy it's it, it's low-hanging fruit it's easy and without having to put in the hard work 
So, uh, so what about policing? What, what can we do police wise to, to actually make a difference in these neighborhoods? Because we have to do something like, like these kids that are dying. I've really didn't, didn't know how bad the problem was before until this year. Uh, and so I really started to pay attention this year. So I feel bad because I didn't know about it, but now, you know, I'm trying to raise awareness and I'm trying to push it out there. So, so what can we do? What, what is the solution here to, to really make a difference in these neighborhoods? Um, I mean, truth be told, I didn't know either, you know, until I started following you and, and seeing what you had to say. And, and then I looked it up myself. And I went, wow, he's hundred percent right. Um, I didn't know, you know, and, and I've worked crime scenes before and I've seen children die mm-hmm. and, you know, it was sad then, but to now see it's almost like an epidemic in this country, mm-hmm. especially in black neighborhoods. Um, you know, I, I volunteer with a local boys and girls club where I, I try to talk to as many kids as I, as I can and just try to spread the word. And I actually don't tell them I'm a cop. I let them figure that out on their own. And then, you know, they're like, oh, wow, you know, you're a cool cop. You know, we can talk to you. You know, we can, we can discuss certain things with you. Um, but they're afraid because they're seeing even the violence in their schools. And I'm talking about junior high school kids, um, you know, freshmen in high school, they're yeah. afraid. They see how, how bad things are getting. Um, you know, as far as policing goes, I mean, I, honestly, I think we're doing everything we can. We have coffee with a cop. Um, we have a community affairs unit where their chief is, is working overtime and over overtime to try to bridge the connection between cops and in the neighborhood. Um, you know, it's, it's, I always say it comes back to families. There has to be a strong family unit that wants to better their children. Um, again, working these housing projects, um, you know, I didn't know my mom always raised me where she said, I sacrifice so you can have more, you can achieve more. Yeah. I, I thought that was just a status quo. You know, everybody sacrificed that their children, children could be better. Right. Yeah. So I started working in housing projects where they wave to the housing project and go, if this is good enough for me, this is good enough for them. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no advancement. There's no, you know, you don't want to better your, your, your future generations. Right. And it, just, it comes down to, it's gotta be a work in progress by everyone. It can't just be policing. It can't just be the people in the neighborhoods. Everyone's got to get together and work through this. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a salient point right there. Um, because it is a perpetual cycle. It's, you know, over and over again and caught in this feedback loop. So we need to figure out a way to break a loop, break the loop. And I think it does take, it it is going to take everybody. And I always ask, you know, like we see this violent, we see so much violence in these communities and people kind of know it's happening, but it's, it's happening over there. You know, we're not really, connecting ourselves to it. Uh, but I don't know how we can ignore children being killed. I don't know how we can continue to do that. And I, I always ask like, how many children need to be killed before we have the same level of national outrage as we do when one criminal is killed by a cop. So we need to find that we need to find that, find that outrage. 
uh, so that we can actually, you know, start to mobilize and have stuff done. And I know people are doing things in these communities. I know there, that there are organizations and there are people protesting, but we need more. We, we need it to be a, a huge national movement. So over and over again, why isn't Black Lives Matter protesting violence? Exactly. So I always get it is, oh, well, there are other groups protesting violence. And I go, well, no, they don't have the voice and the reach that Black Lives Matter does. Right. Besides yeah. that, their actual name is Black Lives Matter. That's your name. <laughs> right. And I mean, they like you said, they have the, like billion billion dollars, and they have the resources, they have the the media, they have the the platform, they have everything that they need to make a difference, and they're not doing it. And it's just. It, they're focusing on just the wrong problem, and it's driving me crazy. Mothers so. against drunk driving going, well, okay, we're only going to deal with, you know, the drunk drivers that drank wine beforehand. You know? Right. <laughs> You're on your own with that one. Nah, we're not focusing on that. We get mad about that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> True story. True story. Well, Sergeant Arkham, I really appreciate you coming on to the show, man, to discuss this. It's very informative, my friend. And... You know, I see your social media following is growing, which I'm happy to see because your voice is really important, man. And so I hope you keep that up. So, do you have any interest in getting into politics? Uh, I'm probably not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not politically correct enough uh, uh, for this state or city. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope you keep talking, man, because like I said, your voice is your voice is very important. So keep that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. So every time we have a guest, we're going to end the show with the same question. The question is, what do you love about America? What makes our country great? Uh, just the fact that no, literally no other country on earth, I can achieve and do what I've done here. You know, my grandmother, I don't think finished high school. My parents have a high school education. Here I am, college educated, um, you know, able, you know, a homeowner, which my parents weren't, and I can retire before I'm 50. You know, there's literally no other country on this planet where I can achieve all of that, you know, and, and just continue to excel. Um, just the opportunity, just, you know, the rights we have, the freedoms we have. I could go on, I could go on and on. You know, I, I, I am proud to be a patriot. I'm proud to defend this country and this people. All right, man. Well said. Now, if you want to follow Zeke, he's on Twitter at cop with attitude under the name Zeke Arkham parentheses, notable exception. I love that, man. Uh, do you have Facebook or Instagram? Uh, I'm setting my Instagram up right now. It's just a personal page. I don't do much with, but I will roll into, uh, an official Zeke Arkham cop with attitude, uh, page okay sounds good so be on the lookout for cop with attitude on ig and definitely make sure you follow him on twitter keep up with them encourage him because he is an awesome person with a lot of great ideas and we need to just to support our law enforcement officers anyway now more than ever they need to know we got their six so thank you again zeke really appreciate it be safe out there man and thank you guys for listening i'm leonidas and this has been informed dissent If you would like to help support the show through donation, you can do so at donorbox.org slash Leonidas. D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. 
I really appreciate that. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, give it a five-star rating, share with your friends. Also, follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson. And check out my website at leonidasjohnson.com. And always remember, do your own research, challenge everything. Don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next week. God bless.